Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. Today, I am uh, pleased to be joined by uh, my pastor, one of my pastors, um, uh, Pastor uh, Mark Youngman, who uh, hopefully our listeners remember from ep- one of the earliest episodes. Um, and so he's back. Uh, and I guess we're not talking about the trouble with small groups this time. We're just talking about small groups in general. So something a little less negative to, to have you on. So Mark, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's good to, good to be back. Episode four, man, that was a long time ago and so much has changed since then. So I'm looking forward to talking with you. And the wisdom, your wisdom has grown oh, so expanded much. exponentially. <laughs> Jedi yes. master of small groups, smart young men. Well, first, I just want to say, uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about what you're learning at Providence United Methodist Church. You're, one of the joys you have is being at a church that's growing. In fact, yes. it's considered one of the fastest growing United Methodist churches uh, around in the country. And so what are you learning about small group ministry? Yeah, um, it's a really dynamic setting to be in and just, you know, amazing to get to be a part of mm-hmm. seeing what, and it's really, we talk about all the time, it's really what God is doing to mm-hmm. grow yeah. at Providence Church. And so in working in specifically in helping people go deeper in their faith, you know, a lot of the people that are coming to us because our vision is really about seeing those who feel disconnected, connect with Jesus Christ and find hope, healing, and wholeness. Um, people that are coming to us are are fairly um, disconnected been disconnected and a lot of folks are, um, if they have had a faith background, it's relatively thin. And so mm. uh, we're really trying to figure out how can we help them while still being a place where disconnected people want to come and, and connect, how can we help them go deeper? And so some of the challenges we've been seeing in uh, small group ministries that we, while our attendance has grown a lot, mm-hmm. uh, our Sunday morning attendance has grown a lot, our number of small groups has actually not uh, oh. grown a whole lot. It certainly has not kept pace with that. Oh, okay. Um, we have new people signing up all the time, but we have also kind of developed a culture of it being okay for small groups to change and evolve as well, mm-hmm. which has kept us from, you know, our, we feel like we're kind of, we've been at a ceiling numerically in a number of groups, but okay. new people are, are coming into groups all the time as well. Um, so part of the challenge has been just looking at the ways people get into groups, how they connect with them, okay. and are there some new things that we can be doing to help them connect, even new ways of talking about small groups. Um, new ways of planning them and um, having maybe even new entry points for, for folks to c- connect with them. I think one of the things I hear that y'all do well from the coaches meetings that I've been a part of is recognizing that not every group's going to make it. Right. And, and and allowing for that and that not being a huge setback or a huge time of, oh my goodness, we're not doing something right, you know. But y'all have a, a good sense of grace of, okay, that didn't work. Let's continue on. Yeah. Can you say a little more about uh, about how you cultivate that sort yeah. of? Yeah. I think it's really important on the front end of talking about small groups. And as you mentioned, you've been part of our coaches' meetings. And then we've got uh, coordinators who are kind of our leaders of groups and help to communicate and all that. And so we, we gather them together and talk that through. And when a group is starting, one of the things that we do kind of talk about is um, sometimes there is a lifespan of, of a group and that that's okay and so going into it, uh, we want them to create a covenant. And so part of that is giving them a rhythm of checking in every year of saying, right. how's this going? Are we are we holding to the things that we committed to that we thought were important a year ago? Are we still doing that? And um, if not, what do we need to be doing differently? And every once in a while, 
that means that um, something changes enough mm. in the life of the group that, that they stop being a group. And mm. um, so, you know, we're, do, we're in the middle of doing that with a couple of groups right now. And um, it's actually pretty fascinating to watch because it's, it, it's almost easier, you know, to have a, a breakup if there was a problem <laughs> <laughs> and there aren't really problems. It's just that people are moving away or uh, just the rhythms of people's lives are, yeah. are, have changed so much so that it's not working for them to be together as a group. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes some of those people would join a different group. And um, But being able to know from the start that that is part of it and that that is okay is really um, – has been something that we're growing in and it's been really a healthy thing for us. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you said that about covenants. It reminds me my group's got to do that soon. We've got to go back over our annual covenant. We do that in October, so yeah. it's it's coming up soon. Um, so what I thought we would do, we, we've got some time. We're going to look at some of the challenges that uh, people have named. So I was at School of Congregational Development in beautiful San Diego, California, and there I did a workshop on small groups in the Wesleyan Way. I uh, got to meet some some listeners. That's always fun. Um, but in the workshop, what I, one of the things I do is I have the participants write down the challenges they're facing in their small group ministry. So um, I brought in the the Jedi Master to to help uh, help look at some of these challenges and bring some answers. We'll we'll talk through these um, because I, I feel like these are pretty common challenges that a lot of churches wrestle with when it comes to small group ministry. And I think one of the one of the ones that leap out to me the most in terms of what people's challenges that they named is there's this recognition of we need small groups, we want small groups, but I'm not sure what the desire or the commitment level is of participants. How, how, do, I, how do I get at that, that commitment level? That seems to be a barrier a lot of people talk about. Any, any wisdom you got there? Yeah, I mean, I think in cultivating a desire for small groups, um, sometimes, and it depends on your setting, of course, like your context is, it's all mm -hmm. about context. But um, if you're in a place where small groups have not existed before and you're trying to talk about that and cultivate that, um, there might be, it's po possible in some places that even just using the typical language of small group, like feels like something that is so much enough of a change to mm -hmm. where you really need to back up and say, what, it, what are the key things about small group life? that we're actually trying to get to for, for our people okay. and, and, and how is that already happening and how can we cultivate that into happening even more? And then, you know, in, in some ways you're kind of, uh, you're going like big picture first before you even really talk about maybe here's a new context that that can happen in and it's, just, it's called a small group. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if a place is have, has, has Sunday school classes that are healthy and you know, really functioning like yeah. like what you want a small group to function as. You can even lift some of those up and say, yeah. that, you know, here's some things that are happening. Sunday morning doesn't work for everybody, so here's some other options. You know, there's some different ways to kind of walk into that, but ways to talk about what is key for small group life, you know, things like accountability, things like growing in faith, things like um, talking about hospitality and reaching out to your community um, can be things that are happening in pockets already. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I'm just going to plant this brand new thing that's a completely new program that I want you to sign up for, but here, like, reveal where it's already happening and then talk about here's some new ways we can do it um, better or um, some ways that might work better for your life. Yeah, no, that's that's helpful. And I, one of the things you hit on there was language, right? And our language is really important. And you're right. There are some people that hear this, the term small group for some reason, so it kind of sets them off, gives them a sense of fear. Um, but like you, you basically named, start with the why. Like, mm -hmm, wh sure. wh why? You know, why are we doing this? Why, how is this another strategy for disciple making alongside of Sunday school? Another word you used there that was that stuck out to me was accountability. 
uh, which again can strike people and kind of set them off and go, oh, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. <laughs> yes. Right? Because that that gets funny with adults, right? And vulnerability and, oh my gosh, there's this fear. They're going to make me pray aloud and confess all my sins. And we sort of jump to all these conclusions that are probably not going to happen. Um, so using the right language to say, um, I know the most common language I hear is doing life together, mm-hmm. um, uh, which, which can be helpful for some folks of, of um, what it is that's going to happen, the expectations. And I think that's one of the great things about the covenant y'all put together is laying the framework for expectations. Can you talk a little bit about the expect, helping people to know what to expect when they enter into a small group? Yeah. Um, so one, you've kind of pointed out, I think to me, one of the reasons why in an ideal setting, a small group starts together mm. kind of at the beginning of okay. the process. Yeah. And so when we're putting those together, we're even thinking through uh, life stage of the believer. Now, um, mm. that we don't put them t- together ne- necessarily in that way, but as they grow together, um, you want to have a small group that's just starting be something that could be an entry point to somebody who's been disconnected, somebody mm. who doesn't have a lot of faith language or doesn't have a lot of experience praying and would know that they can come into this setting and be be okay and then grow with the group. So I know we did talk about how groups can can uh, evolve and change and even go away. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, an ideal setting is you get to grow together. And so there's a depth that happens within that group. Um, and uh, you ask about setting expectations kind of from, from the beginning. And I think, you know, so we we walk into our first two meetings with a brand new group with a, kind of a set, we're going to walk through this. We're going to do this yeah. kind of a curriculum that we walk in with for those to to lay out what small groups mean at Providence Church and um, what they look like from from the scripture and what some of those key elements are for us. And then, as we talked about, we end our second session by by creating a covenant together. And we, we have actually formed the, the core of that. And then groups can mm-hmm. can kind of fit it into their, their setting as well by adding some things to that. Then they actually sign it, um, which is actually – which can be an awkward thing to somebody who's not, <laughs> not right. been a part of that before – it's like but, am I signing a mortgage here? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Is there a lawyer in the room? Um, you mentioned that your group needs to come back to your, to your covenant yeah. soon, and uh, our group just did that uh, okay. two weeks ago, and we sat down with it, and so it's three years old now, and mm. we we you know there are names that signed it that are no longer in our group. Right. Some of them that have moved away, some of them that are doing other things, and um, and we've added people since then mm. too. So it's kind of we've got to see how it evolved by looking back at that, and. There was an element in that that was an expectation of serving together, mm-hmm. um, and we realized that when we first started that group, we tried and we tr- we signed up for things together, yeah. and it just they didn't like it didn't just pan out all that well for, <laughs> for our schedules and families, yeah. um, and so we kind of had stopped trying. But because oh. we had this covenant and we said we agreed on this, and we were this is really important to us, and we sat around. Uh, our living room and said, "Yes, this is really important to us. So, what can we do now?" Um, yeah. So, it's not that we felt miserable for having failed on it, but we had this reminder of saying, we said this was important and it still is important. So what can we do to help create a new pattern for us? Yeah. And so because we had that expectation years ago <laughs> that yep. was set and a reminder of it, we were able to come back to it. So I think um, that that conversation at the front end is really key. It is. And it brings you back to accountability right. as a group. Right. Yeah. One of the other things I like about the process is those first two meetings where um, a, a leader guides the group 
it gives two meetings where the group can kind of feel each other out, right? It's always awkward. It's a little bit like a first date. You know, how are we going to get along? And, and having that outside presence to come in and just guide them, shepherd them for the first couple of meetings takes some of that anxiety away. Right. So I definitely recommend that as a practice. I think that's a really good process and lays that framework, right? I think yes. that's, that's a really good process that y'all have. One of the other uh, challenges participants named that I saw a lot of was commitment and getting people to show up regularly. Uh, and I know, you, I, I think y'all do this a little differently than a lot of churches I've been a part of. So can you say a little more about how, how can you help, um, help people commit to a small group and stay regular? Yeah. So, I, you know, other than that conversation, of, that's, so that's part of the covenant as well. I'm going to sure. always go back, back yeah. to that in a lot of answers, I guess. But you know, so we've stated, like, if this is going to be important to you. So if you get a year in and somebody hasn't been there yeah. but twice, then it gives you grounds for conversation of just saying, hey, this doesn't seem like it's working for you. Um, but I think, so setting that, it's an expectation like anything else. If that is set from the beginning, um, but there also has to, that also builds with relationship. It builds over time. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be more likely to be missed. And these are small groups, so you're going to be missed if you're not there. Hopefully so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be the, yeah. that would be the, the ideal. Um, and so when, as you're developing a relationship, it's going to be more and more noticeable that you're even, you know, sometimes you're there, but you're not there. So if, you know, that might even be something that's built into how your relationship develops, that you say, well, you're, you're, you're checking out or you're not, you haven't been here. Um, but making it a priority um, is different for different groups as well. Um, but we actually have, uh, we've had a system of like really trying to track attendance closely. Mm-hmm. And that has been a challenge and, and, and sometimes it's been a burden for some of some of our leaders. Um, so now we have a monthly check-in uh, okay. with, uh, with our, our new uh, small group director staff uh, person who is checking in and helping them think through uh, who has and hasn't been there and then what follow-up steps can we take. Yeah, having that coach there. Right. To help. That's, that's really important and key. Uh, one of the other things that I, I found interesting about Providence is a lot of groups meet every other week, which mm-hmm. is a different expectation because a lot of people think I've got to be there. That Sunday school mindset is somehow ingrained even when people don't go. They think I've, if it's a small group, I've got to be there every week. And so by setting the commitment level to every other week, do you think that changes or how might that change people's commitment level, expectation level? Uh, what would yeah. be found about that? I think it makes the entry point easier. Okay. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and we have, in our family, we talk, my wife and I talk about this all the time. We love our, we love these people so much. We wish that we could be together every week. Yeah. And we've established a pattern that's not that. And I don't know if we would have been able to start if it was mm. starting that every week. So, mm. you know, I'm hope, I'm actually hopeful at some point down the road, we were able to say, we can do this. Like, let's do it even more yeah. and, and that we might grow in that way. But I do think having every other week has opened up a lot of opportunities for folks who, yeah. who are hesitant to say, okay, this, this actually – see, I, I'm looking at my calendar right now, <laughs> and I can do that. And then hopefully, like I say, as we move along, we find that the investment is worth it, and we might even want to go further. Yeah. And I've heard of groups that will do something like, well, they'll meet as a group twice – Mm-hmm. A month, but then on those other weeks, like the men will meet one time, the women will meet one time. That's right. So it gives some flexibility, which I think can be creative. Yes. And and really bring some life, and and it doesn't get quite as stagnant, if that makes any sense, right? We're just doing the same thing almost by rote. Sure. It really brings some creativity and some uniqueness to it. I think I think that's a pretty interesting model. So, um, so yeah, uh, let's let's move on uh, to to some other questions here. Uh, this is probably my my favorite, maybe <laughs> the most honest. 
uh, when what challenges are they facing with their small group ministry? There are none, and no one wants to start one. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, where do you start with that, right? Is in terms of, uh, and I don't know if this was a pastor or not a pastor, um, but if if it's, there's a church with, without small groups, right? Let's just say there's not even a Sunday school class. Let's let's sort of where would you start? Right from if you got to build it from the, the bottom up and it's not a large church, how would you start? And any what, what's your Jedi wisdom to, to this? Isn't this a, a discipleship question? Mm. Like, isn't this saying uh, what is a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Yeah, and what does it look like when you're living that out in community, which people at your church have chosen to do? Um, yeah. And so, what does that? <laughs> what does it look like to live that out? I think there's a lot of vision casting in that. Mm-hmm. Again, probably before you start calling it anything, yeah, but you're true. talking about the early church. You know, we, we've kind of romanticized the early church from, <laughs> from the Book of Acts, um, true. but it was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really beautiful. It was also really challenging and, and messy. And yeah. so, some of that messiness that we would imagine for if we were to try to do this thing now, well, that's really hard. We haven't done it before. And, it, you know, I can already see what some of the challenges will be. Um, I think it's helpful to look at the book of Acts in an honest way as well and say, sure. like, you know, they were they were doing life together. They were sharing everything. They were sharing bread. But those were all human beings. And so yeah. I'm quite positive that they had some of the same struggles that you would even imagine that your small group might have. And yet they they held together and were committed to this life together. And so I think, like, the image of that um, going forward as – this is what it means to follow Jesus in community together. And it looks, you know, maybe it's, you know, we're not in the Middle East. We're not, <laughs> maybe there's something different about it um, for our context. But basically, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then being able to say, how's that going in, mm. in your life? Are, are those elements present? Um, and kind of creating that hunger and that awareness that if I want to keep doing this thing, if I want to keep going deeper in my relationship with Jesus Christ and pursue his kingdom, um, then I, w- I need to be with some other people who ha- who are doing the same thing. Yeah, I'm reminded of John Wesley's quote. Uh, let's see if I can get it right. This is where I miss Steve here. Is uh, John Wesley says um, the, uh, the a, a holy solitary is uh, the same as saying a holy adulterer, mm. right? I'm sure I butchered that a little bit, but the, the sentiment is there, right? That um, we 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 can't do it on our own, right? And it will require messiness. I think you're exactly right to point us back to Acts. And Acts chapter 2, pictures beautiful and wonderful. And then we turn to First and Second Corinthians. We're like, what happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so messed up. I mean, so I think you're right just to kind of point to this is going to be messy, but we need each other, right? right? We need each other. In, in order to do this, We've got to do it well. And I think one of the places I, I would start, if, if I were answering this, and let's just say I'm the pastor, let's say I'm, I'm just a church leader, just start with one group. And whether that group is two people or three people, start. And just start together and and let it grow from there, right? I mean, yes. But, um, and I think just looking at some of these questions or these, um, yeah, these challenges, th- there seems to be this sense of, the pastor's got to do it, right? The pastor's got to be the one that becomes the champion. And and there's truth in that, right? I mean, I, I certainly mm-hmm. believe the pastor does have to model this, right? That's something I talk about in all the trainings and we've mentioned on this podcast countless times. Pastor needs to be in a small group Absolutely. and need to, need to preach about it in their sermons. But there's a, a sense in which, and I want your comment here, that the pastor can't be the lone voice, that if the pastor is the lone voice, it will fall 
too often on deaf ears. Do right. you agree with that? What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the pastor's maybe primary job in this is creating the environment okay, where yeah. where this, these kind of things can happen. And so less than less than even just teaching on it or saying this is this is our new system, our new our new program is creating an environment where people can see it in action. So I, like you said, I think if you have kind of a pilot group mm. of maybe some of your key leaders who yeah. you know they're devoted, they're they're dedicated. Yeah. Um, kind of set up this we're gonna we're gonna do this. And so so you know after months, maybe, maybe even a year or so, there are some stories that people are starting to say, hey, that group has been getting together and it's not just about them separating themselves because I know what's going on there because they're sharing about it because it's so dynamic. It's changing their life. And so if people see that, they're yeah. going to hear, they're going to listen to that. Probably right. more than they're going to listen to the pastor's <laughs> voice. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The pastor seems to live in an ivory tower. Right. Right. They live a different life. Of course it works for him or her. <laughs> right. But, you know, even if, even, you know, every church is required to have an SPR committee, right? Even if you took those on your SPR committee and said, hey, we're going to meet uh, more often and we're going to meet um, for an hour and 30 minutes of it is going to be Bible study time or small group time. And then we're going to get to the meeting time, right? Start wherever you can mm-hmm. just to get some people together. And then hopefully it goes well enough that they become the ones who are giving testimony. Right. Um, you know, it's not always that the pastor needs to be the teacher, right? They can just mm-hmm. be the one that gets the people together, just a convener, and someone else be, is the leader. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, some some pastors don't have the, the facilitating or teaching gift, and that's okay. Like, own that, be comfortable with it, find someone who does, and and go with it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's look at uh, at least one more here. Uh, let's make sure I find the, the one I wanted to, to ask. Um, I had it just a second ago. And have lost it. Uh, let's see. I'll find it quickly. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, fear of lack of expertise, right? A lot of uh, when it comes to small groups, they think oh, I'm going to have to be the leader or I'm going to ha- at least have to have <laughs> an answer <laughs> if someone asks a question. And there's this this fear of a lack of expertise in this. So what would you, what would you say to that? Yeah, we intentionally don't use leader language all mm-hmm. that often in our small groups. And part of the reason is to help and hope to avoid some of that where you're yeah. frozen and thinking I don't there's nobody in this room that's good enough to do this yeah. uh, part of that is by resourcing obviously I think um, so setting up expectations of this is what a group is and so that uh, there's actually kind of a third party that you all mm-hmm. are looking at and saying like this is you know so we've been given this from from somewhere else and now we're owning it um, and also the resources if they're connected to the teachings in worship um, can kind of give you a sense of we all heard this together yeah so that's really it's, it's a pretty easy starting place. If everybody was listening to the sermon, yep. then they all have some reaction or response to it, um, yep. good or bad, um, <laughs> and being being able to to go from there. And so that's one of the things that, that we provide, you know, is a, a sermon guide mm. that goes along with the previous Sunday's sermon, which gives, gives them kind of a focal point that yes. is not uh, dependent on somebody having done a ton of research, yeah. um, but it's kind of a, let's flesh this out together by asking some questions about yeah. the scripture that was discussed, what the pastor preached on it, and how that's impacting our life. Yeah, I think that's that's wonderful. I know a couple episodes ago I had Cynthia Wilson and uh, Jackson Henry in here. We talked about that marriage between worship and small group and mm-hmm. how those should naturally go together. And one of the things I like about it is it's free, right? Free curriculum, right? Is and I think it helps bridge what happens in worship with daily life, mm-hmm. 
when those are married together. I'm not going to get on that soapbox again. Um, they've, they've heard it already. Uh, but I do think there's there's a whole lot that can be gained by taking the sermon and, and not making it a sermon critique, right? Like we're not going to critique the sermon and say, man, that, you know, you know however that goes. Um, but pastors do that on their own just, <laughs> just fine. Thank you. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah, I use, when my wife would tell me what I did wrong in a sermon, I'm like, yep. Yeah, I thought that was. Um, but yeah, make it more about the scripture passage that was read. Make it more about um, where do you hear God in this? Where's God calling you out of this this worship experience? Not even just the sermon, but the hymns and all that goes together. You know, wh- where's God calling you in this? And I think that can be uh, a wonderful time uh, of being together and uh, beginning to live that out. Um, all right, any other of these um challenges stick out to you or anything else you want to address that we didn't get get to at this point? Yeah, I know there are some further questions around subjects or topics or, yeah, or what true. studies to do. And um, that's that's one thing that we have, have come up with a couple of different approaches to. And yeah. as I mentioned, we have a study guide every week, which um, some of our groups use that mm-hmm. every single time. Um, for the rest of it, we've, uh, instead of just having a uh, strict library that has, you know, like okay. 20 resources to pick from, we um, know that people are hearing things from from all over the place, and instead of and this is a great analogy, I think it came from Alan Hirsch. Instead of trying to put a fence around what people are doing, mm. um, ultimately, I think what happens in small groups is, you know, all, all of our groups eat together, all of our groups yeah. like spend some time before studying together, and I feel like the whole thing is what is important. Yeah. And so sometimes what you study, mm. you know. I, like they, they need to, we need to be in the Word together. We need to be studying sure. together and hearing, listening to God together. Sometimes what what you study is not you don't spend so much time on on worrying about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but what we what we do is put a recommended resource list out twice a year. It's got like six resources that are current That's on good. it. Yeah. And so what we've decided this analogy again is from Alan Hirsch is you put put the good stuff in the middle of this field. His analogy comes from Australia, where the fields are so large that you you couldn't possibly fence them in. Yeah. And so you put the good stuff in the middle of the field mm. and people, you know, come to the good stuff. So we do our best to put really good stuff out there in the middle, middle of the field, um, including our, our sermon study guides and then some other basic resources and hope that, uh, trust that people will, will come to that um, instead of trying to like make them feel like they're, <laughs> they're enclosed by this. And so I think as far as uh, finding, finding your subject, finding your topic, um, also, I know groups are diverse and need need some help and, and probably need to change it up from time to time. And so uh, what we what we uh, recommend helps to do that as well. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because that it does become the common question is what are we going to study next? And I, I think you're right to kind of put study in its proper context, right? That's not the – shouldn't be the sole focus. Yeah, I think that's very helpful. Um, there was another point you said as well that was very – oh, when when I did this exercise um, with the participants, I named my own challenges and obstacles, um, and m- one of the biggest ones I had was control, mm-hmm. right? Because I, when, as as I was doing this in my last church, I wanted to control what people were learning. Sure. And, and it's a point of growing for me to say, you can't do it. <laughs> like even if you give them the best curriculum in the world, doesn't mean the facilitator is going to teach it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I, I'm learning that, right, that I've got to let that control go. So hopefully that's helpful to someone today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a challenge in that. And uh, I think there's where a lot of us are hard, hardwired that way to want to to be able to have a, a tight hold on it. And that is with you. One of the things I'm learning is like to hold things 
a little bit loosely enough mm. for, um, you know, I want to know what's happening and obviously want to be able to help people think things through or correct uh, right. poor teachings and things like that. Uh, but we also want to leave leave room for them to live life together. And if we're holding on to them, we, can, <laughs> we could be choking some of that out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm learning to grow into that, right? And I'm sure that applies to other areas of my life too, but I won't go there. So, uh, well, thanks. Next time. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your wisdom. I appreciate it. This has been, it's always great to talk with you and I appreciate your wisdom and insight. So, good so to be thanks. with you, Scott. Yeah. Well, let's, let's wrap this up. I do want to give a, a shout out to Anthony Brown in Arkansas. He, he found me at the Discipleship Summit there in, in Arkansas and uh, came to me and said, hey, I'm a listener of your podcast. And so we had a great time to chat together and he was in one of my workshops there. So so nice to meet you, Anthony Brown. I uh, appreciate that. Hopefully we'll get to meet in the future. Uh, so some credits here. I want to say uh, to thanks to Matt Carlisle, our web producer, Steve Horswell Johnson, our executive producer, and Blake, the almost bald technical Blake. director. <laughs> It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah. Yeah. Glad you're part of the club, man. Um, so we want this uh, podcast to be as interactive as possible. So uh, reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at UMC Adult Forum for adult formation and also at uh, Rev Scott's Tweets. You can find more information on our website, umcdiscipleship.org. And so we look forward to continuing to be in ministry with you and for you. And until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.